Thank you so much and welcome to our uh, webinar for Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, it's wonderful to see you all here. I'm Daniel Rivers. I'm faculty lead for the American Indian Studies program here and I teach uh, Native American history, modern Native American history and lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender history in the history department. And I'm really, really pleased to be here with Melissa Jacobs talking about uh, Indigenous Peoples Day and what it means for us, what it's meant for students across campus, what it's meant historically and politically. Um, so, Melissa, do you want to introduce yourself and say hi? Sure. Hello, everyone. Buju, Awanko Kwe, Nadishnikaz. Hello, everyone. My traditional name is Awanko Kwe, or Woman in the Fog. Um, and my colonial name is Melissa Beard Jacob. I am a citizen of the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa Indians, and I also work at um, the Student Life Multicultural Center as one of our intercultural specialists for Native and Indigenous students. So thank you all for coming out today. Um, Daniel and I are very excited to uh, have a conversation about Indigenous Peoples Day and kind of engage all with you here at the Ohio State community. Um, but before we begin, I wanted to share a brief land acknowledgement um, and take time to honor and recognize that the Ohio State University occupies the ancestral and contemporary lands of the Shawnee, Potawatomi, Delaware, Miami, Peoria, Seneca, Wyandotte, Ojibwe, and Cherokee peoples. Um, and the university resides on lands ceded in the 1795 Treaty of Greenville and the forced removal of tribal nations through the Indian Removal Act of 1830. So it's especially important on Indigenous Peoples Day to take a moment to recognize um, the tribal nations that um, call Ohio ancestral homelands and contemporary homelands as well. Um, so the way that today is going to proceed is we have received um, a number of questions um, that were submitted at uh, registration. And so Daniel and I are going to take some time to answer those um, through a conversation together. Um, and we'll also be collecting conversation or excuse me, uh, questions through our conversation um, in the chat box. So as we are um, going out through today, if you have any other questions, feel free to put them in the chat. Um, and then Daniel and I will be taking time to answer those as well. Um, we received a lot of questions, so we'll do our best um, to answer those. But of course, Daniel and I, um, you know, are always here as resources prior, you know, or after um, today's session. Um, so I guess a good question to start with is, what is Indigenous Peoples Day? Um, and why is it important for folks to recognize this day? Um, Daniel, I don't know if you want to start out with a little bit of history. Sure, might as well. You know, I always think that's a good idea. Um, and before I jump in, I just want to say thank you so much, Melissa, for your words. Um, they were really apt articulate. And uh, for those of you who don't understand the references that Melissa was making to Indian removal in 1830, um, the period of uh, removal and divestment of Native Americans from their land that happened in that time includes the Trail of Tears, but it also included the land that we are on here at Ohio State. So whereas tribes like mine, I'm a tribal member, a citizen of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, lost our land through the Trail of Tears. Famously, uh, in those same decades, the people whose land we are on, uh, the borrowed land we sit on, were also forced removed from this area. So I just want you all to understand the resonances of what Melissa was saying and the depth of the gratitude and the history and the pain that we're talking about when she made that land acknowledgement. Um, so thank you, Melissa, that was awesome. 
And when we think about the history of Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, we really can take it back to 1977, um, to the 70s. I mean, uh, the period of red power activism. And although Indigenous Peoples Day is deeply important as a marker of rethinking and uh, changing the narrative around issues like discovery and, and what it means to honor somebody like Christopher Columbus, uh, in the moment of honoring what really happened there in that period of time. At the same time, there's a much bigger historical context. And those of you who love history probably are not surprised by this. And that's really the history of red power in the 1970s. And what was happening increasingly by 1977 is that red power activists like the, Ameri the individuals who fought with the American Indian movement were realizing that there wasn't gonna be any real way for them to work through the Republic, through the constitution, through the the law of the land in the United States, that they were going to be denied their legal rights, period, all the way down. And so they turned as sovereign nations to the United Nations. And they did so beginning in 74-75, as the FBI war against the American Indian movement uh, became most brutal. And they went to the United Nations and they began developing large-scale perspectives on global Indigenous rights. And out of that, by 1977, comes the notion of Indigenous Peoples Day. And in the United States, we tend to be very focused on U.S. history and think that perhaps the lesson here is one about U.S. history. It's really one more about Indigenous sovereign nations history, Indigenous history, uh, and the need for Indigenous peoples to operate outside of settler colonial paradigms to, to get things done, to fight for their civil rights. So Indigenous Peoples Day marks that turn towards internationalism. But then, of course, it gets taken up in the United States in its own way. So we have the first Indigenous Peoples Day adopted uh, by my hometown of Berkeley, California in 1992 because of the 500-year anniversary, of course, of the so-called discovery of the United States. But that's a different history. The real roots of this notion of marking Indigenous Peoples Day and of honoring a new narrative comes right out of the Red Power activists of the 1970s. So, um, and Melissa, when you think about Indigenous Peoples Day and how students interact with it here on campus, because you know, you, Melissa's an incredible resource for those of you who don't know. Uh, we're very lucky to have her here at Ohio State. And her engagement with the Native students um, the undergraduates particularly has been invaluable. So I would like to ask you here to share some of what undergraduate experience of Indigenous Peoples Day has, has been, Melissa, if we think about this background of empowerment, of sovereignty, of Native peoples of red power. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for many of the students I've worked with throughout the years, Indigenous Peoples Day for them um, is just a moment to really create more visibility for themselves on campus. Um, I think that, you know, for a lot of the Native students, I mean, if you think about the large number that we have here on campus of, what is it, 65,000, and then Native American students make up less than 100, um, they often find themselves lost in the crowd um, or, you know, in classroom spaces feeling like the only one. And so Indigenous Peoples Day gives them an opportunity not only to share um, their own stories and their own histories, but to kind of take a moment and say like, hey, we're here and we're doing all these really great things. Um, you know, a lot of them are speaking on panels uh, throughout the week or doing different presentations. Um, so it gives them an opportunity to gain some leadership skills um, and to also, you know, get some uh, presentation experience while also being able to share um, and educate, which I think is, you know, the biggest and most important part of what they do. Um, and of course, they, um, you know, in the past have done um, rallies. So a few years back, they had a um, 
call to come together um, down at Town Hall in front of the Columbus statue to protest um, Columbus Day and the knowledge of it here in the city of Columbus, which again is very uh, interesting space to live in as a native person living in a, a city named after Christopher Columbus. Um, so I think a lot of our students also have those conversations of like, what does that mean for us? Um, and what are ways that we can push back against that? So for them, it is, you know, being activists, getting together um, in crowds um, and bringing some more uh, visibility uh, to them. Um, they've also arranged candlelit vigils to honor, you know, the genocidal um, essence that comes along with the dis quote unquote discovery of America. Um, and there's also a number of student organizations on campus that are very active. So if anyone is looking to get involved um, or to learn more, we have lots of different opportunities to do that for sure. Um, so in thinking a little bit more about, you know, how Native students celebrate Columbus Day, I know there were a lot of questions about um, how can we uh, change the, take the current shift away from Columbus Day um, and respectfully honor Indigenous Peoples Day. So thinking about ways that we can, um, you know, celebrate and kind of move away from this false narrative of Christopher Columbus's discovery. That's right. That's right, I saw a bunch of questions like that too. And I also saw some questions on here about, you know, what does it mean what we choose to commemorate? And when I think about the information that Melissa's giving us right now, everyone, there's a clear answer there, right? As an educational institution, as a space where we seek to create safety and dialogue for all of our students, what we choose to commemorate has a direct impact on our student community, right? That native students come here and what they see commemorated tells them about the values of our institution. So I just see a clear answer there to several of these questions. Um, and Melissa, what, you know, on those, along those lines, thinking about how Native students celebrate and, and what it means for them, what we commemorate, have you spoken with Native students about what it means for them to come here and to feel stories they grew up with, alternative histories celebrated? And what's that like for them? Does it make them feel safer? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Um, I know, well, typically uh, in a not COVID uh, time during yeah. American Heritage Month, we typically um, have a large celebration um, called Alternative Thanksgiving. Um, and so for them, that's a really big moment to not only provide an Indigenous perspective of, you know, the national holiday of Thanksgiving, um, but they really felt seen in that moment. Um, and so I think that um, on campus when there are different, um, you know, events like this, um, it really makes them feel seen and as Daniel said, very safe, um, you know, safe to be themselves, safe to not feel shame about, um, you know, their backgrounds. And I think especially coming from the, you know, the long legacy in the Native American boarding school system and um, for folks that aren't really familiar with that history, um, you know, back in the mid 19th century, um, the federal government and missionary schools essentially either took Native children or their um, parents sent them away to institutional uh, boarding schools. And those schools were used to basically teach them how to be not Native. Um, they weren't allowed to speak their language. Um, you know, they were only taught certain subjects in school. And so I think that Native students are coming to um, an institution of education with some reservations to begin with, um, just based upon our historical experiences of, you know, being assimilated through education. 
Um, and so when they are in these spaces where, you know, maybe an instructor uses a land acknowledgement, um, they really felt seen in that moment and they feel comfortable and know that that um, instructor, you know, um, they wouldn't mind going and talking to them about things. So um, I definitely think that it's really important not only for just to educate the OSU community, it's just important for our Native students and making them feel safe and comfortable um, and also making them feel heard and seen. And, you know, they're a population that is often muted, I would say, or, or not visible. Um, and so I think that, um, yeah, it's not only very important just from an education standpoint, but just for the safety and comfort of our own students as well. Um, it looks like we actually have a couple questions here um, coming in that do actually flow well with this conversation. Um, let's see. So as a land grant university, what responsibility does OSU have to acknowledge and represent their debt to indigenous people in the violent history of land seizure, forced removals that turn indigenous land into public land? Um, Daniel, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about more the history again here sure. <laughs> in terms you know, of land grants. You know, I love this question and what a great question. Thank you so much. So that's that's right. Uh, if we think about what it means to be a land grant university, we have to think about the land that got granted and who did the grant. And the land in this instance actually belonged to the historic Ohio tribes. And it was removed from this region as settlement port across uh, the Ohio River from Pennsylvania and, and it pushed westward. And as it pushed westward in the period after the Republic, um, that settlement pushed the question of removing all of the Native Americans from the central Ohio region where we are. And so when that land is again granted, when it's now completely under state settler colonial U.S. control by 1870, and it's, it's granted in this huge bequeathment, um, the, the Congress that grants it has no power to grant it, right? They have no, they have no right to grant the land and at the same time, it matters that it's happening in 1870 because the period after the Civil War marks a second horrific moment of land theft where tribes across the country lose uh, our land, both Melissa and my tribe, our, our nation's lost horrific land in this, called allotment. And it, it stretches from the 1870s up through 1910, essentially. It happens in different ways across the country. But 1870 and the bequeathment by an organization that doesn't have the right to bequeath it of this land that OSU sits on comes at that second moment of, of land theft. So that's right, that history imbues all of this. Um, and, and when we think about that as historical truth, the historical truth of speaking about Indigenous Peoples Day here in Central Ohio and the particular historical significance that is, we also don't have any federally recognized tribes here. Um, uh, unlike other places where tribes were removed and vestiges of those tribes stayed, my, my tribe, the Choctaw, has a branch in Mississippi of folks who stayed and weren't removed. Here in Ohio, there are no federally recognized tribal entities, right? So we're a site of evacuation and, and of absence. And to mark that is, is one, of the, one of the reasons it's so powerful to advocate for Native students here and to teach Native history. Um, and that has everything to do with the conversation we're having today about what kind of environment we're creating around those narratives. Definitely, and I think also a lot of folks um, don't realize the rich history um, that Ohio holds in terms of, you know, indigenous histories and the nations that were here. Um, traditionally, um, I'm not sure if many of you are aware, but Ohio is home to the largest amount of earthen land um, mounds in the entire world. 
Um, and so actually at our OSU Newark campus, there is the Newark Earthworks Center. Um, and I really encourage you all to take a look. Um, Dr. John Lau and Marty Chatsmith. Um, uh, Dr. John Lau is Pokagon Potawatomi and Marty Chatsmith is Comanche. And I definitely um, would recommend getting in touch with them and looking at some of the opportunities they have to learn um, because there's a lot of rich history here that folks, um, I don't think, number one, realize, and then two, don't really know that there is that opportunity to engage. Um, you can go and actually visit the Newark Earthworks Center um, over in Newark. They do tours twice a year. Um, I'm not sure in terms of COVID how that is happening this year, but there is opportunity to go and experience it in person. Um, so I just wanted to add that as well because um, there are lots of really great opportunities and folks often don't know about them. Um, and then I also wanted to add a little piece too about the land grant um, issue. Um, you know, I think that it's in a way similar to this idea of the land acknowledgement. I think that for land grant institutions, just the acknowledgement in itself is so meaningful, um, you know, to acknowledge and say, hey, we're a land grant institution. Um, this is what this means for many indigenous nations that were, you know, forcibly removed from their lands. Um, because I think oftentimes people frame it in a negative way. Um, and it's, which of course, yes, loss of native land is negative, but I think it's a learning opportunity um, and also a moment to honor um, the nations that are, that were here and still are here. Um, and there's lots of growth there. And I also think, you know, an, another opportunity to really make native students feel safe um, in the spaces that they're entering as college students to, you know, come to a land grant institution and, and have that acknowledgement. Um, I, I think is just as super important in addition to um, acknowledging the land as well. Um, let's see. So in speaking of Columbus, the city of Columbus, um, the name of our city. So Ohio State University is in a city named after Christopher Columbus. Um, and this question here says that there are several recent examples of changes to names of places, sports teams, etc. Can you foresee there ever being a change to the name of the city of Columbus? Oh, this is a good question. Um, Daniel, I don't know if you want to take a stab at it. Of course. It's a great question. Thanks, Melissa. And Yako Key for the discussion of the Earthworks says, thank you, Chaka. I just want to say thank you uh, for the shout out to the Earthworks. I absolutely want to second that. It's just an incredible, incredible space. What John and Marty have been doing over there, I think there's maybe a class in production. They've been working around uh, uh, world heritage and all kinds of growth over there, some research opportunities. I just want everyone uh, everyone here to, to think about the Newark Earthworks Center as an incredible space of indigenous knowledge and opportunity and growth right now. So I think that that's exactly right. So, I mean, I guess the question of Columbus, it comes down to commemoration, right? I mean, um, the question is, what do we commemorate and how do we commemorate it? And so if we think about the recent discussions over whether a statue of Jefferson Davis, for example, should, you know, a horrific slave owner in secession, it should stay up in the middle of some town. Well, uh, if we if we leave the statue of Davis up in the center of town, it, it kind of creates a hero out of him. Whereas if we put it in some museum somewhere or we make it a talking point piece around racism and the growth of white supremacy, then it serves a useful historical purpose, right? I think that those those are conversations that we're having as a country right now, actually. And if we think about what it means to name a city after Columbus, um, that's a kind of commemoration. But I think that we as a city uh, need to have those conversations. And perhaps if we're gonna think about what it means 
that Ohio State is moving towards honoring Indigenous Peoples' history and Indigenous Peoples' Day and discovery as a questionable notion. And the city is in another conversation. We need to bring those conversations together. And how great would that be then? I mean, that's what university is one of the greatest things we do, in my opinion, is that we engage everyone in conversation. So I would look forward to having an extended conversation uh, as a city over what that means and what that commemoration means historically. I guess that's, that's what I would say about that. But names do matter. They do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, representation matters. Um, <laughs> Now, I think it would be very interesting to see what movement would come from, you know, changing. I know there was the talk of Flavortown with Guy Ferrari. Um, that'd be kind of, Flavortown, Ohio would be very interesting. Um, but, you know, and there's lots of cities in the United States that are Columbus, you know, Columbus, Georgia. I mean, there's multiple. So um, it'd be really interesting to see how, you know, hey, maybe we can be the first ones to kind of move um, that conversation and, and get some some movement around that. Um, it, it, it sure is a powerful conversation to have in a space of evacuation, I'll tell you that, and, yeah. and to represent that. I mean, what a powerful conversation for us to engage in, so. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, I know there was also thinking about, um, you know, again, with land acknowledgements and just acknowledging um, land grant status in that. Um, Someone had asked, how do we move beyond land acknowledgements um, to end colonialism? So in other words, how do we prevent land acknowledgements from becoming performative? Which I think is a really great question. Um, I know I've been often asked this. I think people start kind of in the beginning of like, okay, first of all, what is a land acknowledgement? How do I do it? Um, and then there's that second and third piece of, okay, so I've done the land acknowledgement. How do I move from that and putting that more into action. Um, and so for me, from a lens of Ohio State, I often suggest a few things. So first of all, I suggest, um, you know, reaching out and reading different uh, books by Native American authors. Um, secondly, listening to podcasts, you know, All My Relations with Adrian Keene um, is a really great one to start with. Um, you know, watching films. So just kind of like taking that initiative to educate and learn. Um, and then secondly, on, on campus, as I said, there are the three student organizations. So that's a really great opportunity to come and engage with indigenous folks. Um, and, you know, as an ally to come and learn, ask questions. Um, and then, you know, lastly, we also have lots of different events on campus. So that in itself is a great way, um, you know, to come out and learn and interact with folks. Um, because, you know, often we say, you know, hey, you should contact in, in um, interact with local tribes, but here in Ohio, all of our tribes have been moved out of state. And so a really great starting point is the university, um, is the earthworks. Um, and then also Daniel, you, I don't know if you wanna talk about American Indian studies um, in terms of like class options. Absolutely, I was just thinking about that. Thank you so much, Melissa. So, and then the other thing would be that uh, I'm faculty lead for American Indian studies at the program here. And all you need is four classes with significant native content in them to get the AIS minor. It's an amazing minor. I can help you find classes across the campus being taught by my colleagues. Uh, we have a lot of exciting faculty work in Native American studies here actually right now at Ohio State. So all you do is email me, Daniel Rivers, R-I-V-E-R-S dot nine one, and ask me about the minor and we can chat about it. And like I said, it only takes four classes. You may already have taken a couple that would count already. So don't, don't hesitate. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Definitely. 
Um, and actually, we do have another question thinking about federally recognized tribes. So this goes along well with thinking about, you know, how to reach out to local tribes, but, you know, why are they not here and why were they removed? So this question says, Ohio tribes fought hard against settlers from the little I know from an indigenous people's history of the United States, which is a great book I highly suggest for folks wanting to learn more. Um, is that part of why there are no federally recognized tribes here? It is, it is a great book. And for those of you who want to know a lot more about the answer to this question, I'm teaching modern Native American history in the spring. I think I'm going to teach it online, 3071. But that's absolutely right what the, what the question asker alludes to there, that, that what we see happening in the two regions of the American Southeast, what is modern day Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, um, in those Louisiana, in those spaces where my tribe and other tribes came from that were forced marched north along with the Cherokee Indian Territory. In the decades right after that, the Ohio tribes were forced under military control and they were removed. Many of them actually, when you look at the history, were removed first in really brutal ways to uh, Kansas and Nebraska and then removed later to territory where my tribe and the Cherokee and others from the Southeast already were. But there was deep resistance in the central Ohio region. Um, the great Shawnee warrior Tecumseh fought a last pan-Indian um, attempt to push back the invasion in the Ohio River, in the Ohio Valley. That is what happened. And so that site and the document, the 1795 treaty that Melissa alluded to, gave huge swaths of land, including central Ohio, but also including the Pottawatomi land of Chicago, <laughs> right? So huge swaths of land were given away in 1795, and it came exactly as the U.S. had defeated the British and pushed hard into this territory on to push settlement across from Pennsylvania. That's and because uh, there was resistance, there was massive, brutal uh, pushback. Yes, thanks, Daniel. You're such a, a wealth of, of knowledge in terms of the history, which is fantastic. Um, and you know, even someone from, I'm from the state of Michigan, um, and I often didn't learn any of this history either. It's kind of as though Ohio's taught to be this like indigenous list place. Um, and we don't realize all the rich history that comes along with, um, with uh, the state of Ohio here. So we just have a few more minutes left. Um, and I think a good question, this is a good question to kind of uh, end with is, it says, thank you so much for this important conversation. How might, we, how might we move beyond spaces of inclusion um, that nonetheless remain within a settler colonial framework that often brackets or marginalizes this inclusion and toward a new model of more pervasive and all-encompassing diversity and participation? That's a really great question. Um, and especially someone who comes from a multicultural center, um, we often talk about this, you know, is it is it smart to have all of us kind of in our separate constituency groups? Um, and you know, what really is there? I think diversity, equity, and inclusion has kind of become a buzzword too. Um, and I think a lot of folks even ask about like, how do we move away from the performance of that as well? You know, checking boxes um, and making actual, um, you know, meaningful inclusion of folks um, in the conversation. And so I think for myself, thinking about it from a student affairs perspective is, 
just including voices. Um, I think, you know, including the Native student voices into these conversations um, and thinking about, you know, we often hear that they are the asterisk, um, you know, that the, the data is so small that they aren't even included in some of these studies across, you know, institutions in the country. Um, and that shouldn't be a reason why we're not included in the conversation. Um, you know, it, it's not, I often say it's not our fault that we were, you know, victims of genocide and that our people were literally killed off. Um, and so, you know, yes, there are going to be less Native students in um, spaces of higher ed, but that doesn't mean that they're not important. That's absolutely right. Thank you so much for that, Melissa. That's such incredible work you do here. Um, and that's right. And Native students will not just feel included. They will not just feel tokenism. Uh, they will feel something more if there are questions, a couple of questions after the land acknowledgement. Like, what does that mean that this actually isn't our land? <laughs> just one or two questions. And to sort of keep the conversation going a little bit. Or tribal specificity, when people refer to Native traditions, because so many of us are referred to as Native Americans or Indians so much that we are not given our tribal specific acknowledgement. Native students, I guarantee you, will we'll, uh, we'll appreciate that, right? So there are so many ways. And Melissa, what do you find that students feel about this difference between a kind of tokenism and real representation? What, what do they express to you about that? Is it important for them to have safe home spaces with only Native students and then engage in that dialogue? Yes, absolutely, yes. I think there is definitely something to having Native-only spaces for students um, because oftentimes, like you've said, in classroom spaces, they become that tokenized, oh, hey, you know, I even remember as a college student myself, oh, Melissa, you're Native, why don't you speak about this? And I often say, well, I, I can speak about Melissa as an Ojibwe woman, but not 574 federally recognized tribes. You know, we all come from different histories and stories. And um, yeah, there, there's definitely that space that students need to come and talk about those things um, in a Native-only context. Um, but it looks like we are actually right at time now. Um, I want to thank everyone for coming out today and joining our conversation. Um, hope you found that useful and interesting. Um, and I would like to thank all the people in the College of Arts and Sciences who made this possible, um, especially Clara Davison in the History Department and the Harvey Goldberg Center for Teaching Excellence. So I hope that everyone has a wonderful week and we will see you at the next conversation. That's right. Yeah, Koki, happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah. Thank you all.